0: I was in London with my girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, early thirties, just retired from sport and I was spending all my savings working on this, some would say, foolhardy wool shoe concept. Eventually the dinner table conversation would turn to me and people had just talked about all the promotions and the success and the professional journey they were on and I'd, I'd sort of squeak out wool shoes and at the end of the dinner people would pat me on the head and I got to the stage where I was sort of lost and embarrassed with it and not quite sure how I was gonna sort of solve for this problem.
1: Welcome everybody to In Conversation with Shopify Plus. I'm your host, Jason Buckland, and we welcome you back here for our interview series where we speak with the very best and brightest in business. Our guest today is quite simply one of the A-list stars of what we'll call the new retail class of billion-dollar startups. Tim Brown is the co-founder and co-CEO of Allbirds, which has been called at different times both Silicon Valley's favorite sneaker and also the world's most comfortable shoes. Not all that long ago, Tim was on New Zealand's team at the 2010 World Cup. He is known as a former soccer star, and indeed he is that. But calling Tim an ex-jock obscures a great deal of the truth. Tim had stops for master's degrees at Northwestern and the London School of Economics to learn how to shepherd all birds to its rightful place in consumer culture today. Stick around with us for the next little while because Tim is gonna talk to us about his somewhat unique arrangement in a big money company as co-CEO, alongside Joyce Willinger, Allbirds' other co-founder. Tim shares with us also the name of the brand he looks to as proof that Allbirds can reach a wide audience by sticking to a direct-to-consumer model. And he'll also tell us why trying to operate as a sustainable company is sometimes not quite as clear a goal as it might seem.
0: One of the challenges with a topic like sustainability is that it means 10 different things to 10 different people. To you, it might be about air quality and water quality, it might be end of life, recyclability, animal welfare, human welfare within the supply chain. All of those issues are really important, they are critical, but they they sometimes have competing incentives and so the idea where we've landed as a business is that they must all ladder up to this unifying metric around carbon. Carbon is, is the thing that we must get under control.
1: All right, we bring him in now. Our guest today is Tim Brown, who not all that long ago put a wool running shoe up on Kickstarter and now finds himself as the co-founder and co-CEO of Allbirds. He joins us today from his home in San Francisco. Tim, it's great to have you. Thank you for being with us here on In Conversation with Shopify Plus.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: The story of Allbirds' beginnings has been well shared, but I'll recount a few of the key beats here for those who don't quite know them by heart. Tim, you are a professional soccer player in New Zealand. And in 2014, you create a sustainable shoe made from merino wool that you post online for crowdfunding. It becomes a hit. And not long after, you are joined by a man, an American, named Joey's Willinger. The two of you officially launch Allbirds in San Francisco in 2016. Time magazine calls you the world's most comfortable shoes. Ben Affleck and Barack Obama can't stop wearing them. And all of a sudden, you're at the top of this kind of darling retail startup that everyone in the industry can't stop talking about. Now, that's a great breach of time. I've covered there, obviously, so you've got plenty of latitude for this first question. In the rise of Allbirds from beginning to today, what was the smartest thing you did and what was the greatest mistake you made along the way?
0: Um, Well, you make it sound too easy. (laughs) You reel it off like that. And uh, I like to sort of say that this was a bad idea for a long time before it was a good one. The mistakes are, are too long to list. I think the, the smartest thing I did was two things, really. Have a go at this, really easy to talk about something, much, much harder to do it. And, and I had a crack, even when the odds were overwhelmingly against us, maybe especially when they were. And the second best thing was I, I did it with someone, with a co-founder, with Joey. And I, I found in him a partner, someone to laugh through the challenges of doing this, someone with a complimentary set of skills, uh, but probably, and perhaps most importantly, our purpose around sustainability, the reason why we were doing it beyond just making a product. I think, you know, without question, that was the starting point. What, what was the biggest mistake? Write a business plan at the start. That's always a good one. <laughs> um, don't find uh, factories on Google. Um, backing myself a little bit earlier. And I think it, it took meeting Joey really to sort of believe in the true potential of this. And maybe that speaks a little bit to the partnership and the importance of that for me. I kind of wish that I'd dreamed a little bigger. And I think if I had, it might have helped me make some smarter decisions in terms of who I work with and who I partner with.
1: Allbirds makes headlines, it seems, quite often with the funding it receives from investors. Uh, in the fall of 2020, another $100 million came in, this time valuing the company, at least in a number reported by the Wall Street Journal, at $1.7 billion but your first funding source was altogether something different. It was a research grant you obtained from the wool industry in New Zealand. How much were you granted then? And what case did you have to make to receive that money?
0: I think um, you know, that initial grant back in New Zealand was really uh, came from reading a magazine one day. I was in New Zealand at that time playing football in the A-League in Australia for New Zealand's sole team that plays in that league. And dreaming of going to a World Cup with New Zealand, which hadn't yet happened at that point and was reading a magazine one day about the wool industry in New Zealand. And, and New Zealand has a long connection with sheep farming, more recently with dairy farming, and going back decades and decades to the founding of the country, it's been an industry in decline. And so there was a huge opportunity really for innovation there. And I had just started making shoes at that point, really as a curiosity project, and, and had started to run into the idea that shoes were almost entirely made out of synthetics or not very nice leathers. And there was an opportunity in new materials and sort of connect the dots with wool and connected the dots with the idea that this industry was crying out for new ideas. So pitched with a friend who helped me at the time, an application to this funding board. I want to say it was like a dollar match thing. So we put in a dollar, they put in a dollar, and they'd been developing this material literally for the police force or something that was like bulletproof. It was some weird project that we managed to sort of claim. And over a couple of years, they developed a fabric for us that was the basis of the first
1: Kickstarter. So those are the modest beginnings of your brand. Uh, we touched earlier on some of the heights that Alberts has achieved today. Something your company's leadership has been vocal about is this idea of, it's a good thing to have discipline as you grow as a business. What's something that Allbirds has had to perhaps hold back or slow down on over the years in the interest of adhering to that discipline?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think so much good fortune in the way that we've built the business and, and the right place at the right time and and obviously a lot of hard hard work too that generates the sort of luck you need. You know, I think one of the things we did well was we said no. A lot of stuff, and I I think that can be no at a high level and no at a low level. So, at, at a high level, no, we weren't going to have a range of shoes, we were going to launch with one shoe. And traditionally, in footwear, that's not what you do. And we had a number of experts come through from the footwear industry tell us that this was never going to work. And we launched with just one shoe because we wanted to get that right. And we wanted a vertical model, an online model that really was about delivering one great singular solution. And then we wanted to focus on the materials, and we figured we could do that better with one silhouette. We went on to sell a million pairs of that shoe through the first 18 months of the the brand being around. There was a lot of temptations to kind of go and listen to people, particularly experts. And so the ability to sort of say no, and I think oftentimes with feedback or, or even with innovation, there's the temptation to sort of like satisfy a lot of people and maybe take a little bit from here and a little bit from there, which you should do at times. If you've got an idea or you're planning to launch a product and everyone thinks it's a good idea, then you're probably on the wrong track. You're almost certainly on the wrong track. I think then it extends through to when you launch the business, I'm going to say no to every silver bullet and shiny object that comes in your path, the meetings, the coffees, the time with investors. You can spend a lot of time not focused on the thing that's really important. You have to find really nice, polite ways of saying no regularly.
1: Allbridge is up over 20 stores now globally, and those can be found everywhere from New York City to Berlin to Beijing. Of course, there was a store in Auckland where the company can Thank trace you. its roots in New Zealand. <laughs> Generally, as one might imagine, retail is not precisely having its moment right now, but there are important companies, uh, Warby Parker comes to mind, that are doubling down on retail. And Allbirds, in fact, has been public that it is still committed to the channel. Take us inside the company for a moment, if you would, over 2020, and walk us through some of the conversations had at Allbirds as they concern what to do about stores going forward.
0: It was interesting. Even when we founded the business sort of four or five years ago, there was this idea that retail was dying. And I'll paraphrase one of our board members and one of the founders of Warby Park and Neil Blumenthal, who said something along the lines of, uh, retail's not dying, just bad retail. <laughs> and the, the bar was being raised in terms of the experience. And when I look back on that, the idea that you were going to kind of open a, a sort of shoe store was sort of an antiquated thought. But, you know, we did it anyway, not for the reasons that are most obvious um, or because of sort of careful planning and strategy so much. We uh, rented our first office space and it was in a a part of San Francisco that um, was sort of being taken over by these tech companies, but was actually a retail destination. So the landlord really um, wanted a tenant that was not going to grow out the windows, but actually open a store. So we we did this much sooner than we thought, one of those happy accidents and spent $7,000, built a little store under our office that was on a 600 square feet. And Joey and I started working in it each afternoon and all of a sudden, you know, we were already addicted to feedback and customer sort of like loop of, of how we could improve our product. We'd already built that into our model and saw it as a key competitive advantage. And then, you know, you walk into, into a retail environment and customers come in and then, you know, the feedback's even quicker. And then you realize another thing, which is like people crave that connection and the and the actual act of touching materials of trying on shoes is sort of something that people have remembered since their childhood with that silver metal sizing thing that no one knows the name of. It was kind of an ingrained experience. People wanted to have it, but oftentimes it wasn't very good. So we saw an opportunity there and, and it happened a little faster than we thought. And we sort of fell in love with it, to be honest with you. And now there's 20 stores. It's slowed down a little bit. It's been challenged in COVID, but those fundamental insights, the fundamental belief, and the importance of that channel, and the fundamental fun that we have, is, is going to come back. It's just, it's just a matter of time. You know, I think actually there's, there's an, a number of opportunities that are going to come out of this moment for for retail, and, and um, so you know we're not going anywhere in terms of our thesis on how important that can be for the business.
1: Tim, whether it is in store or through your website, Alberts has really committed to a direct to consumer model since its inception. There was a brief period in 2018 where Allbirds shoes could be found in Nordstrom, but that has pretty much been it. You have stuck to your guns in that you want that relationship directly. You want to meet your customers where they are and sell to them without somebody else in the way. There has been nothing to signal a change from that model, at least in the short term, but are there scenarios you discuss internally at the company where wholesaling your products to other retailers makes sense?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say that we are so dogmatic about channel. I mean, I think in the case of Nordstrom, that was an opportunity that kind of came to us where we felt like we could learn. And obviously some of the masters of customer service, particularly in footwear, one of the biggest footwear retailers in the world, it was a positive experience, something that was very small and, and not something we continued. I think it's really through the lens of learning and equally back the other way, the ability to maintain control of our ecosystem and get feedback and constantly be able to improve our products and focus on our customer service is really fundamental and important to us. I think in the early days, there was lots of people around the world in different countries that wanted our product, and there was the temptation to just sort of drop ship it. And instead, we we did it the other way, much more slowly, built offices in key countries focused on key markets because we wanted to make the experience great. If you focus on what you think your competitive advantages are, and really ultimately sort of your values and the vision for what you want as a brand, you can kind of navigate those types of choices. It's not to say that no to wholesale forever. I think we'll always evaluate, can we learn, can we provide a better customer experience, can we expose our purpose around sustainability and the environment to a wider audience with people that might not have met us. Those types of considerations you know, allows you to make better choices, I think, in those types of moments.
1: Can you stay direct to consumer and reach the amount of people you hope to touch with the brand?
0: Absolutely. I think there's so many great examples. Lulu was one of a vertical retailer that I think has reached enormous scale. And we're very early days, nearly five years into this, 20 stores, still very much in the the first few chapters of where we could get to. So I think there's still a lot of potential for growth. And Maybe unlike some of those brands, we've had an international presence earlier, a retail presence that very intentionally has gone globally quicker than maybe most brands because we believe that there was a 25 to 30 year old customer in San Francisco hearing about the environment and the products that we were making. And that same person existed in Auckland and Berlin and London and Shanghai and that connecting them could be really powerful. And that's sort of been part of the strategy for the brand.
1: I wanted to ask a few questions about your work arrangement that I think are interesting. Joey's Willinger, who we mentioned earlier is not merely your co-founder. he is also your co-CEO and that is an arrangement at companies of scale that is either perfectly symbiotic or sometimes historically, it has proven to be a very difficult proposition. With you and Joey, in fact, you met long before Allbirds, your wives were actually college roommates, so there is a personal bond there unique to your situation. But somewhere in the mid 2010s, you and Joey began to seriously talk about becoming business partners. From where you sat then, after having spent years of your life and the sweat equity and the personal financial equity that had gone into the creation of your Wool Runners to that point, what was it like to bring somebody new in to, in essence, share that with?
0: For me personally, it was a relief. I I found the person that I should be doing this with. Some people can do this by themselves. I certainly had tried, was not happy in doing so, and realized the one or two things that I could do well. and pretty honest with myself about the gaps and there were many. <laughs> so the idea of finding a you know a partner was really important. And to do it with, with Joey in San Francisco, you know, I think we bought in pretty early on. And I think if you don't do this, it doesn't work. You bought in pretty early on that we could go further together than we could individually. And that is still the case right now. And it's not to say that it's always been easy, but that partnership is one of the things that I'm most proud of in building this business and, and I think a key part of why we've been successful.
1: Was that indeed a true Crossroads moment? Is there a world where had you two not come together as partners, Allbirds would never have came to be?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Allbirds was not my idea. That that was the thing that we brought to the world, at least initially together. And now we've handed it on to a team of of nearly 500 people that are shaping that idea and, and putting their own fingerprints on it. I hadn't grown up on a sheep farm in New Zealand, as good as that would be for the story, and I hadn't grown up with hundreds of pairs of shoes in my cupboard dreaming of launching a shoe brand. So somewhere along the way, I found myself doing this thing, and I wasn't quite sure exactly why. Connecting with Joey was the why, and I think he had committed his business career to the idea of sustainability and the belief that this was the problem of our generation and that business could be a real leave force for good and finding better ways to make the products and services that we love. And we found each other at the right time and, and kind of haven't looked back. That hasn't meant that it's got easier from that point necessarily. And, and I think any good partnership is about debate, discussion, and a lot of disagreement at times, but I found the teammate, if you will, to sort of really go after this.
1: There is an interesting anecdote you have shared previously that I wanted to ask a bit more about. When Allbirds officially launches in 2016, you sell a million bucks worth of shoes in your first month alone. And by that point, I think every reasonable projection you could have made for the business is about blown to smithereens. And yet you've shared that after that first month, you found yourself with Joey at a bar and your eyes might've even welled up with emotion. And this was actually a somber time for you. And in fact, you've suggested on some level that you and Joey may be questioned whether you would continue working together. Can you take us to that time and explain the conversation you two had to have and the things you had to come to terms with in order to move forward together?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, whenever you're founding a business and we'd sort of come to San Francisco, we'd been living in London at the time, we'd showed up here and I was trying to get a visa to live in the country and we were working out of his mother-in-law's house and he'd taken a big risk, had two young kids. We'd raised this money through people that he knew had vouched for him on a, you know, let's be honest, a reasonably speculative idea in a category that neither of us knew nothing about. So there was just a lot of, lot of pressure on both of us in different ways. We'd launch, I think we'd hire a few people. We'd launch the business on the 1st of March, build a shoe in six months, build a supply chain in six months. Kind of, I'd, I'd done a lot of you know work on the design and the product, but it kind of had to be rethought for, for manufacturing at scale. And then we launched this thing and it goes tremendously well. And we're sitting at this bar one day and we're both kind of unhappy. And I think part of that is is a little bit of our personality. And I think this idea that we've done a really good job of never getting too carried away. It's always been about how we can get a little bit better, how we can improve. I think that humility has served us well, but we're sort of sitting there in this bar and it kind of wasn't working. And I I think you have this realization that a relationship as intimate as that, unless it sort of purges itself of some of the criticisms and judgments and grudges on a regular basis, that can build up and compound over time. And it's very unhealthy. And I think from that moment on, we just never let it get to that point. It's like a pot on the stove that doesn't boil over. You have to constantly talk. We got into a much more intentional sort of rhythm of meeting at least once, sometimes twice a week with a list of things, good and bad about what the person's doing, where they're contributing, where they're not. I think we doubled down and committed to the idea of communicating. It's often referenced as a lonely position, sort of running a company, and it really is. And as you start to hire people, people stop sort of telling you the truth sometimes you start to value over time just how helpful it is to do this with someone and like i sort of said earlier we can go further together than we can alone
1: taking a quick break from our chat with tim brown to bring you a preview of our next episode in this series our interview with seema bansal seema is the co-founder of venus a fleur you have to have seen her company's eternity roses they are these flower bouquets that are all over social media and brought with them this tidal wave of attention when a certain pair of very famous sisters shared their affinity for the product.
0: Never in a million years did I think that on Valentine's Day out of all days that Kourtney Kardashian and Khloe Kardashian would share a static feed post of Venus Saint I think that everybody wants the recognition and they want to be seen in front of a lot of eyeballs. And for us, that was a really huge goal. But what we didn't think of was the supply chain. Like, can we actually fulfill these orders?
1: That was Seema Bansal, the co-founder of Venus et Fleur, who is next up in our series. Before we get back to Tim Brown, this show is brought to you by Shopify Plus, the enterprise platform that powers the very best brands in the market from Allbirds and Gymshark to Staples and Heinz. And if you like this podcast, if you like what you're hearing, you've heard me say this before, but please visit Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Reviews are still the number one way to support a show like this and make sure it gets in front of as many people as it can. So please take a minute to let us know what you think. And in fact, some of the homework I've given our listeners earlier in the season is already beginning to pay off. We asked who else we should talk to for this series, and we have had some great submissions from our listeners so far. Jen Rubio, the co-founder and president of Away, Brene Brown, the best-selling author and professor who you no doubt know from our TED Talks, and Chris Saka the billionaire investor of Uber and Twitter. And of course, for a few years, he was on Shark Tank too. So, some great names coming in. The people are making their voices heard. Please keep the nominations coming and include who you think our next guest should be in your review on Apple Podcasts. Now, without further ado, let's get back to Tim Brown. So now you and Joey are co-CEOs and you can read academic research papers until your eyes bleed on the philosophy of having multiple people in that role. Now bear with me here, Tim, because I want to dig into this a little bit and get your thoughts. Here's one side of the argument that among fortune 1000 companies, the median duration of co-CEO arrangements lasts only about two years, which is less than half the tenure of when a single CEO presides atop a company of the same size, but then here's this from the Harvard business review for many companies. And I quote here now, the better alternative is two leaders in the role. CEOs need not be perfect if they have a partner who compliments them. Now you've been on record that you and Joey augment one another quite well. And indeed you've said today that you're better together than you might each be alone. When would you make the case that a company would benefit most from having more than one leader in its most senior position? Well,
0: it's a great question. And I think this is so highly specific and, and contextual. It's, it's really hard to say. I mean, I sort of feel like we get asked about this quite regularly. And, and Joey and I, it's just different across the board, different in terms of sort of skill sets, different in terms of cultural backgrounds, different in terms of introversion and extroversion. But I think we have a common ground that's really, really important around competitiveness, the importance of values and honesty, a family. It's really a really hard one to answer. Maybe if it's a bigger business at scale where there's less sort of creative decision-making and things are a little clearer and it's about keeping the trains running on time, the idea, the fundamental idea of debate and discussion is not helpful. I'd struggle to see where two ads aren't better than one in my particular experience, but I can see that We've often had people interview with us and they go, okay, great. So there's two of you. So who ultimately makes the calls? And we sort of say, well, it doesn't really work like that. We've got areas of responsibility, but we're kind of up in each other's business on both sides of it. And the spirit of debate, I think has fueled everything that we've done and hasn't always been successful. And, And usually if people are asking that question, maybe this type of environment and culture and structure isn't for them. It's usually a little bit of a flag.
1: To way overgeneralize the public perception, I think of how you two work together is you're the design guy, Joey is the finance business guy. And somewhere in the middle, you two meet on the sustainability parts of Allbirds. What gets lost by those characterizations?
0: You know, the best design feedback I often get, I often get it from Joe. The ability for him to be a creative resource and idea generator is greatly underestimated, I think, by, by many, maybe even by himself. But the fact that you're looking at it maybe through a business lens, through a margin lens, it's just considering some aspect of the supply chain that I would never have thought. And I welcome that. I think the overlap is really when this gets interesting. And similarly, taking a design-led lens and applying it, as I did through sort of my business school training, to some aspects of the decisions he's making are probably annoying at times. And I don't know, one out of 10 suggestions maybe just adds or illuminates a different way of working that he might not have considered. So I think that's important. The cultural aspect of this is probably the bit that people miss. I've come from New Zealand, grew up there, proudly a Kiwi, and have been taught to, in some ways, reinforced a little bit culturally that Standing out too much or dreaming too big is, is not necessarily the way to, to be successful. And you come to a place like America where very early on, I got asked the question sort of, if this was a billion dollar business, what would you do differently? Like permission to sort of think at that scale and I almost, almost spat my cornflakes out. It felt almost like I was doing the wrong thing. But I think the the contrast of those cultural upbringings have been important and valuable in different ways. I just think the collision of these things, if if managed well, creates a richer tapestry of possibilities.
1: A few questions on sustainability, if we could, Tim. Please, yeah. In 2018, Allbirds debuted a material it had spent three years developing called Sweet Foam. And in essence, Sweet Foam is a, a new textile made of sugar cane that would form a much more environmentally sensitive shoe sole, which traditionally almost across the footwear industry is made from petroleum. Now, as an achievement itself, that ain't bad. But what you did was you took this proprietary formula for SweetFoam and you made it open source. You said, for any brand that wants to come copy our technology and use it in your products, come and get it for free. Who has since taken you up on that offer?
0: I think there's something like 100 companies globally. I think this is the sweet spot, if you will, of the intersection of sort of purpose and business success. And we opened that up as an open source sort of material uh You know, not just because we were good guys. With the idea that the more people that would use it, the the cost would come down, and we factored that into our agreement with the supplier. Not only do you have more people using it, uh, a material that, in its raw form, at least uh, net negative in terms of its carbon impact, you have the ability for that to be made cheaper, and so you open the market up even more. when you think about a topic like sustainability and climate change, it's very, very clear that all birds is a tiny drop in the ocean, and if we're successful, it's just not enough. Even if the footwear industry or the fashion industry is successful, it's not enough. This has to be a collective action. Even, you know, more recently a partnership with Adidas, a traditional sort of competitor in the footwear industry, the blueprint up to this point is to create these things to keep them very, very close to your chest, not share with anyone, not collaborate. We've realized that there is a bigger race going on here around the environment and climate change, and we need to work in different ways to solve it. And it's bigger than any one company.
1: Allbirds is in the business of full transparency when it comes to the carbon footprint emitted in the life cycle of its products. Your company is committed to taxing itself to offset all its carbon emissions Uh, more recently than that has begun putting labels on each of your goods, almost like the nutrition label you'd see on a box of cereal, detailing exactly what carbon emissions go into that product, from the materials, to the manufacturing, to the use, even to the end of life. So all this, Tim, is in the pursuit of zero. Allbirds is trying to lower its carbon footprint each year and to eventually get to a place where it leaves no carbon footprint whatsoever. Is this humanly possible to achieve, or is whether it's actually possible or not missing the point?
0: Yes, it has to be or otherwise we're in trouble. I think for us, the point is that the sandbox is really clearly defined, like the goalposts are really clear. That's what we're shooting for. One of the challenges with a topic like sustainability is that it means 10 different things to 10 different people. To you, it might be about air quality and water quality. It might be end of life, recyclability, animal welfare, human welfare within the supply chain. It's about microplastics in the ocean or plastic use generally, and on and on and on and on. And all of those issues are really important. They are critical, but they they sometimes have competing incentives. Where we've landed as a business is that they must all ladder up to this unifying metric around carbon. Carbon is is the thing that we must get under control. And it was a sort of a light bulb moment for us. And then we were able to realize that we needed to measure our carbon impact as a business, which we've done. We realized that we could break our collective business footprint down into an individual footprint for each product that we made. In the same way that calories go on food, we could start to label them. And that's what we've done On average, I think it's about nine kilograms of carbon are emitted in the production of our shoes, somewhere between seven and nine. We now have to drive that number down and offsets are a a short-term fix, but they're not the the long-term solution. Clearly there is a cost to the carbon with the offset. So we're managing that like we would any other expense within the business. And all of a sudden there is a little bit of a, at least clarity on what you should be doing and, and, and the understanding that each sort of action has implications that you need to manage it. Traditionally, when you're making products, You're thinking about what it looks like, what's the utility, how it uses, how comfortable it is, how it functions, and how much it costs. And we've introduced a fourth variable or constraint around carbon, and it's starting to change the way we think about designing and making our products. And it's really powerful, and we're in the early days of it. But yes, zero is the goal, and I absolutely do believe we can get there, and I think that's our challenge now.
1: Now, I know in the quest for zero, nobody at Allbirds, and I'm sure likely you included, will, will put a date on this, right? You won't say we're going to get there by 2030. You won't say we're going to get there maybe even by 2050. But help us understand the stakes here and what kind of quest this is. Is this possible, say, in our lifetimes?
0: You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's going to involve us thinking differently innovating with materials and considering materials and transportation and uh, manufacturing processes in different ways. But it is the thing that can bring us together. And if we all agree on this, I think this is the challenge that connects Canada with New Zealand, with the UK, with Shopify as a business with Allbirds as a business, Allbirds as a business with Adidas as a business, you as an individual, with me as an individual, the rules of the road are all the same. And so we can start to share ideas, connect on best practices, and ultimately believe that at some point governments get involved and start to apply a tax. So it becomes even clearer Just as an example, the partnership with Adidas was really built around the idea that with our knowledge of materials and this clarity on this carbon scoring system and Adidas's enormous network and reach of manufacturing facilities, what could we do right now? We imagine the idea that we might create a product that was under two kilograms of carbon. Sort of the equivalent of running a two minute mile and that's what we're currently working on with them. These problems that were seemingly impossible can be solved and I think we're seeing a lot of reasons to be really, really excited about how quickly we might be able to do this.
1: I'm Kristen LaFrance, host
0: of Shopify's Resilient Retail Podcast. Look, 2020 was tough for everyone, but retail store owners have been hit extra hard. Because of the pandemic, quarantines, and limited foot traffic, it's never been harder to be a small business owner, which is why we made Resilient Retail. From real stories of struggle and breakthrough, to the insights retail businesses need right now, Resilient Retail is a show about finding inspiration taking action, and making your business future-proof. To hear more about how brands like Pattern, Mac Weldon, Lively, Universal Standard, and so many other businesses are staying resilient, overcoming challenges, and building thriving businesses, be sure to tune in to Resilient Retail on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Tim, I'm glad you brought up Adidas because there were a lot of headlines in May of 2020 about your partnership with them, who you're joining to make what was called then the world's most sustainable shoe. We haven't heard much about the project since. What can you update us on where the making of that shoe is today?
0: It was, it was two traditional competitors coming together with the idea that we were going to sprint over over a year and make an announcement next year in, in terms of what we'd come up with. And the goal was a singular shoe that was as close to two, if not under two kilograms of carbon that we believe might be the, the lowest ever on record. And that's what we're working on. I think we put pressure on ourselves in, intentionally to sort of see where we can land here around a fixed deadline. So early next year, I, I hope we come up for error and release something that shows people that this can be done or not. <laughs> we'll find out.
1: When considering the future of a company like Allbirds and how a larger company like Adidas might view its value, there were easy questions to begin asking more loudly when that partnership was announced. Would an Adidas or a Nike ever be interested to acquire Allbirds? Would Allbirds be interested in being acquired? I have no doubt that you and Joey are committed to running Allbirds and running it well for some time, but what is the substance of the conversations you two might've had about this, about what circumstances might have to be present for a move like that to feel right to you?
0: As anchored as we have been in purpose and the idea of building a business that we tell our grandkids about, I think it does come back to that. And how can we get as fast to where we want to go in terms of net zero products? Uh, very early on, I think we did this exercise that was really powerful. We wrote a story together with our early employees, focused on a morning in 2025. So it was 2015 at the time, so 10 years later. That was really about going to work at Allbirds on that particular morning in the future and all the things that we had done to make that possible and what it felt like and what it smelt like in the offices. And we share that with everyone that interviews with us. And it's full of decisions and clear declarations of what we did and what we didn't do. And it's been really powerful. And out of it came sort of three values and a mission statement around better things in a better way. And anyone who's embarking on, 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 on some sort of journey to build a business, I could tell you how valuable it is to just give yourself permission to imagine 10 years in the future and literally document the decisions that you've made to get where you think you might be able to go.
1: Two quick ones here, Tim, and I'll let you go. In 2019, Allbirds uh, stepped out of footwear, if you'll allow the phrasing, and you launched a small collection of socks and underwear. What other new product lines might interest you to pursue?
0: Well, the apparel one is really interesting. You know, obviously socks were a pretty simple jump, but we don't do things by halves. I want to say we spent the best part of a couple of years working on that. Underwear was taking that a little bit further to see if we can solve a problem. And then you start to ask yourself more broadly, does the world need another t-shirt? The answer is probably not, unless you're using materials in a different way, bringing a different type of solution to the market. We're very, very slow to sort of make sure that we can answer those fundamental questions of, of whether this is additive, to make sure that what we're building is important and has a real place in the world.
1: Last one here, Tim. You have shared a story once that I wanted to return to. Some years ago, after you had left professional soccer and were putting your all into entrepreneurship, you said you used to kind of bristle when people asked what you did for a living. You know, When you were at dinner and the conversation turned to you and you had to tell people you were in the business of making wool shoes, you suggested for a long time that You know, you about wanted to crawl into a hole and die when that came up. Does that ring true to you?
0: Oh, so true. Yeah. I can go back to that dinner. I was in London with, with my girlfriend, soon to be wife and early thirties, I just retired from sport and I was back at university studying the subjects that I'd avoided most of my life and spending all my savings working on this, someone say full wool shoe concept. And eventually the dinner table conversation would turn to me and people had just talked about all the promotions and the success and the professional journey they were on. And I'd, I'd sort of squeak out wool shoes and I got to the stage where I was, I just was sort of lost and embarrassed with it. And, um, It's, you know, it's hard. I mean, I I sort of feel like the entrepreneurship thing is like a label that gets thrown around, like it's some glorious sort of thing. And it's extraordinarily difficult. Like I sort of said, if your idea is worth its salt, a lot of really smart people, sometimes close to you, are going to tell you that you're doing something that's dumb. And so you got to, you got to be prepared to face those down. And I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that we were able to get through it. And Allbirds was born out of that resilience.
1: When somebody asks you what you do for a living now, Tim, how does it feel to tell them?
0: this has been a really special journey for a bunch of reasons and I really don't I, I think it's still got a long way to go there's a bunch of things we need to be doing better but we now have this sort of really incredible team and group of people and this idea is no longer mine or Joey's it's taken on its whole life of its own and you know in the midst of sort of all the things that are still really busy you sort of you pinch yourself and you realize how far you've come and, and I feel very very lucky to have been able to do that.
1: Our guest today has been Tim Brown, the co-founder and co-CEO of Allbirds. Tim, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for being with us on In Conversation with Shopify Plus.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation.
1: All right, thanks again to Tim Brown and thank you again for listening. If you like what you heard today, do not miss our final two episodes of this season. We've got Seema Bansal, who co-founded Venus a Fleur. And of course, you know our final guest, Chip Wilson, the founder of Lululemon. You are not going to want to miss him. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And to find more of our interviews with guests like Seth Godin, the best-selling author, Yuri Minkoff, the co-founder and CEO of fashion label Rebecca Minkoff, and Justina Blakeney, the New York Times bestseller and the artist and designer behind the home goods company Jungalo, visit us online at inconversation.shopifyplus.com.